Welcome to another episode of Bowel Sounds, the Pediatric GI Podcast, the official podcast of the North American Society of Pediatric Gastroenterology, Hepatology, and Nutrition, or NASPGAN. My name is Jen Lee, Pediatric Gastroenterologist at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio, and I am joined by two of my co-hosts today, Peter Liu, also from Nationwide Children's, and Tamara Hajat from Cincinnati Children's just down the street. Hey, guys. Hey, Jen. Hi. Oh. There's three of us. It's, There's three of us. Weird. I know. Crazy. Well, we're here because we're excited and we want to talk about the single topic symposium today. So we had to bring Peter on. I am happy to be here. And uh, whenever you want me to start selling the single topic symposium, I can start. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone sign up. It's going to be the best time of your life. It's going to be probably the best like part of any conference that's ever taking place in history. Wow. Okay, but for real though, like, are you biased? Uh, no, like planning I'm it not. A little bit? <laughs> no, I can't believe you would accuse me of that. But uh, I mean, but for real though, okay, this is like going to be one of the first where it appeals to everyone in our society, regardless of what thing you specialize in. Right? Technology affects everybody. Yeah. We're like talking about the history of technology and innovation in our field. Looking back, we're like talking about now how technology is impacting like our current work, whether it's as a clinician or researcher and also things in the future, like how our field is going to look. So I think this is something that everyone should be excited about. Um, I feel like, you know, if you haven't already, be sure, save the date, fly in on Tuesday, register for the symposium. Uh, yes. Cause it's going to be awesome. Like our lineup of speakers is incredible it uh, includes, speaker. yeah, it includes one of the people uh, currently that we're talking with. And tomorrow is also a moderator. Too. I'm a moderator. So, well, I prefer to be a moderator. Moderators are important too. You know what I mean? You got to like yeah, wrangle these yeah. crazy speakers and make sure they don't go over their time. Don't worry. I'm already planning to go over like by 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. So whoever your moderator is tomorrow, you're not moderating Jen, are you? No. Okay. No. I think you're and I are moderating the same session. And I think Danny is speaking. Yeah. 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 Your session is going to be so like, I mean, our speaker lineup is awesome. We have like people in adult GI who like have been in this space. We have pediatric GIs who've invented things. We have uh, people who are super influencers on social media who are pediatric gastroenterologists, all kinds of stuff. But we have something even more exciting. And it is dun 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 baby shark Happy tank. Hour. Oh no, yeah, baby shark tank. <laughs> yes. Well, that's the topic of our episode today. So we have this bonus episode to really talk about baby shark tank, but really give the nuts and bolts of how you take an idea and turn it into a reality. Is it called baby shark tank? It's because we're peds. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah, and the song because Peter's going to dress <laughs> up like a shark. Yeah. But like, please, Peter, I and do the dance. Amazon links on. Uh, so I don't even. I don't even. I don't dress up for Halloween. Like, there's no way I'm dressing up for this thing. But you can reuse that costume time and time uh, and again, yeah. so it's worth. But you buying. know what? I would consider like if this becomes the most like attended single topic symposium, I actually would consider dressing up. Well, what's the awesome. number we need to hit? I don't know. We'll have to do some research, but uh, mm. 
But Sign yes. up, everybody, if you want to see Peter in <laughs> like, shark suit. Literally, no one is going to be motivated by that. <laughs> I just, am, I just keep thinking because you know how you also DJ. You could also wear the shark that's, outfit that's not while part, you're DJing. It's like not a part of the deal. Costume situation. Okay, oh. how about if I get you a shark? t-shirt no that's not the thing don't, don't even <laughs> no. how about i just wear a shark pin you know no, no. why are we going underneath on? my uh, blazer or whatever shark hat shark hat we got to get you uh, one that's like one of those too. blow up ones like the blow up t-rexes oh, I love Guys, let's <laughs> do it anyways the reason why we wanted to have dr rosen on was to talk about the baby shark tank and yes. you guys should all apply so you know, the deadline. So right now the deadline's going to be in the middle of July. So you still have a couple weeks and it doesn't have to be like a fully fleshed out, you know, invention. It's really just an idea. And every one of us, you know, has ideas for how to make our field, our work better. Like maybe a scope that doesn't have like crazy dials, you know, like a scope that has like a video game remote controller thing. Or like, one for small hands like me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everyone, ha- like those kinds of ideas are what we're looking for. And then there's a prize. There's prize money. Yeah. There's like talking to people who are in this space and how to make, maybe make this a real thing. So uh, I feel like this is going to be a really exciting event. Please apply. And, uh, and then, you know, we'll choose some finalists to present in front of sharks, in front of everybody um, during a reception. So the audience will be also drinking and uh, it'll be fun. Yeah. And like Dr. <laughs> Rosen said, you'll uh, get bragging rights. <laughs> yes. The first ever winner of the one and only Look baby shark tank. <laughs> Should we introduce our topic today? <laughs> we kind of already talked about it, but today, I mean, it's a full technology uh, episode that we talked to Dr. Rosen about. We kind of talk about how you can incorporate technology into your medical field. And he gives a lot of good kind of tips and notes about how to incorporate it. He mentions things about intellectual property and patents. So make sure that you listen to it. It's a it's a really, really good and fun episode. Dr. John Rosen is the Director of Telemedicine and Outreach and the Section Chief of Pediatric Gastroenterology. He's also Professor of Pediatrics there um, at Children's Mercy in Kansas City. So we were super happy to have him. I've worked with him so much over the course of the last year, but have never met him in person. So another thing to look forward to at the Single Topic Symposium, seeing John Rosen in person. That is crazy. Yeah. Anyways, should we like try to coordinate saying onto the show? Yeah, let's try it. (laughs) Someone do a countdown. Three, two, one. On to the the show. show. (laughs) Dr. John Rosen, so happy to have you on Bow Sounds today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. For our listeners who don't know you, how would you describe yourself in one sentence? Okay, I have a, a main sentence and a backup in case. Uh, I'm a good dad, husband, and doctor who always wants to do better and learn more, but I take great satisfaction and joy in the present moment. Oh, that's a good one. Mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah, can I do my backup? Yes, I was going to ask about what the backup is. <laughs> so this has more content, less mm-hmm. philosophy. So I'm a generalist. Mm-hmm 
who practices neurogastroenterology, enjoys good food and jam bands, and believes that all things are possible. Do you believe in ghosts? Uh, I believe in things that we can't explain that are beyond our comprehension that could be interpreted as ghosts. How about that? <laughs> and you said you said you like good food. I do. What kind of food? Well, I like anything interesting. It doesn't have to be fancy. Mm-hmm. I really like eating food that I didn't maybe have access to growing up, food from different places, different cultures. And one of the things that's been great working where I work is we have a pretty large division, people from all over, mm-hmm. and we share food with each other, not only making it, but teaching about how to make it or how do you find a good recipe. Um, and so, you know, the first time I used fermented goat's milk yogurt for a dish was totally because of my colleagues, you know, turning me on to it. Wow. Uh, so. I, I really like cooking and I like eating. I like food. That's pretty cool. I like food too. That's why we're in GI. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, <right? laughs> I just got a new cookbook, actually. It's called Run Fast, Eat Slow. Oh. And I ate raw beets blended into the smoothie for the very first time ever this morning. And it was delicious. I stained my white cabinets, but it's fine. It was worth it. You see, oh, did you put things with the raw beets? I hope. Oh, yeah, it was very good. Blueberries, beets, coconut water, all the good things. See, I'm used to eating raw vegetables a lot. Like I can eat raw eggplant. I can eat raw beets. I eat lettuce, just like just lettuce leaves like that. Not in a salad. Like a rabbit. Really? Like a rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would make life so much easier if I could just pull raw vegetables out and start chomping down. But I, I don't have that same skill. See, in Jordan, it's very common for us to do that. Yeah? Yeah. Like my and my family does that. We just like put like raw vegetables on the table on a plate and just eat it while we're eating lunch or breakfast or dinner or something like that. So, yeah. That's great. Yeah. The first time I had a vegetable garden, uh, once I moved back to Kansas City, I grew beets. And I do like beets. I'd eaten them cooked most of the time. Um, and my kids were helping and they were younger. And so they just did whatever I suggested to them. And we pulled raw beets, little baby ones out of the garden, rinsed them off and they chomped down standing in the mm-hmm, garden mm-hmm. and they loved it. Mm-hmm. Now they're a little older. They think, <laughs> no, I'm going to think about this. This is not normal, typical. So going to our next question. Maybe you can tell us a book, podcast, or a TV show, or maybe a movie that you read, listened to, or watched recently that you recommend uh, for our audience, or maybe a hobby that you like to do and you recommend. Okay, that's there's a lot of possibilities there. Mm-hmm. I love sharing sci-fi fantasy books, reading sci-fi fantasy books. Uh, there are some amazing people in peds, GI, and hepatology that read way more than I do, but always have suggestions. Um, and so I think I read a lot of those types of books. And one of the ones that I read recently, they're mostly series, you know, three to 10 books and expansive universes with lots of intrigue and action. But the Stormlight Archive uh, by Brandon Sanderson. So there are four books so far out of a projected 10 Mm-hmm. And one of the things I like besides for the book is that he publishes two or three books a year. So I know oh, wow. that those next books are coming. I'm not going to be left hanging for this particular series. And one of the things I like about this and some of the other series is there's action and there's usually magic and there's usually some kind of, you know, weird creatures that they're trying to overcome. But there's a lot of philosophy. It's how should you lead your life? You know, how do you view the world around you? 
And depending on the author, they come from their own like philosophical background or cultural background and they talk about it. And so you get to learn a little bit about different ways to view the world while reading about dragons and orcs and swords. It's awesome. That sounds pretty interesting. What are the names of the books again? Well, the Stormlight Archive is the name of that series. There's several others. I mean, we could go on (laughs) for an hour talking about different series, but um, I do read occasional nonfiction, but Uh, really it's the fantasy books that get me. Ah, ah, yeah. So we want to talk about a really cool topic today. So our topic is about technology development, and we're super, super excited, and we're releasing this this summer because a lot of our listeners may be preparing for the very first Baby Shark Tank at the Naspigan Single Topic Symposium. And for any of our listeners that listened, Peter Liu was going to do the Baby Shark Tank song and dance. Ah, he's denied it, but we're going to keep saying it, so we'll make it true. Is he going to wear a shark suit? Oh, we can make that happen. Yes, we will make that happen. (laughs) Anyway, so John, can you tell us what this baby shark tank or shark tank is? Yes, and I think a lot of people have seen the show Shark Tank. Uh And basically, it's where you come up with an idea, you present it to a panel of experts, and they give you feedback and potentially a prize of some sort. Of course, on the show, it's an investment into their company. Well, there are shark tanks for technology development and other ideas in medicine and engineering. And the AGA and their organization, CGIT, CGIT, they've put on this GI Tech Summit annually. And every spring, they have an AGA shark tank. And it's an amazing event where they have innovators, inventors, who are most of the time GI doctors or GI adjacent, come with their ideas. And they present in front of this panel and you've got representatives from different companies or different hospitals and they get immediate feedback and scores and prizes. And so we thought this is an amazing opportunity within NASPGAN because we all have ideas and we're going to talk about that, I'm sure. And, you know, how do you get ideas from the idea stage to the something stage to the product stage? But sometimes in pediatrics, we're a little bit underrepresented. So the market for our ideas might be a little bit different. Uh, it's not always at the forefront. And we know this because of what we deal with on a daily basis as pediatric gastroenterologists. And so the baby shark tank is intended at this t- tech symposium that we're hosting at, at NASPGAN that Peter's uh, planning to show off these ideas, to say, we all have these ideas. Let's share with your friends and colleagues, people that are invested in you and in your ideas. And let's see where it can go. So a follow-up question on that. So you just present your idea with like not working on anything, just an idea? It's like a proposal? That's a great question. So different shark tanks require a different level of progress. This is an early stage. Start with the idea. And there is an application that's brief that will guide you through some of the questions that you need to ask yourself about your idea and be able to answer. You don't need to have a business. You don't need to have a CEO. You don't need to have investors. In fact, I don't expect many applicants will, but you need to have an idea that you've thought out in terms of what problem are you trying to solve? That's the biggest thing. Why do you think your solution is the right one? That's also a big one, right? You have to sell that concept and that idea. And then anything else is icing on the cake. You know, have you learned about what other people think about your idea to solve the problem? 
Do other people think the problem is a real problem? And so there are different stages along the way. I would say for this first iteration of Baby Shark Tank at Naspagan, bring your idea, fill out the form, send emails if you have questions, and you will be guided along the way as an applicant because there is not an expectation that you know how this all works from the start. That's pretty cool. And one idea per one person, because I have like 10,000 ideas. No, too, much, too many ideas. One idea per person. You know, it is people who are reviewing these applications, people that are communicating with the applicants. Um, it could get a little hairy. Yeah. Every Not tomorrow year. again. Tomorrow. That's a ridiculous idea. It's probably going to be written. <laughs> just exploded over yeah. So this is interesting. So can you give us some examples um, of like tech that was developed by physicians? Oh, wait, before we get to that, what is the prize? Because you mentioned Ooh, that there's a prize. Yeah. Right? So what will we get if we win this? Tomorrow, that, you and I will win this. That is an ongoing development. So <gasps> at, the very, at the very least, it will be um, what we call in my house bragging rights. We showing off your idea to solve a problem in front of your colleagues. Mm-hmm. And this is your core audience. And that's, that's cool. valuable in its own. There's marketing associated with it. And that's actually valuable too, as you're starting along this journey, getting the idea out there can sometimes be hard when you have many ideas, like mm-hmm. you were saying, you know, mm-hmm. out there, how do you distinguish yourself? Oh, I won the GI Shark Tank at Naspagan. And then other prizes are probably going to be in collaboration with other entities. And those we don't have nailed down quite yet, but they're mm-hmm. going to be really helpful in the progress of somebody's tech development. Yeah. And we'll put a link in the show notes to be able to access that application. So um, yeah, examples of uh, physicians' ideas. So there's a lot of ideas that come from physicians, from nurses, from custodial staff, from PCTs, because people that are doing work are the ones that identify their problems. You know, this thing that I keep encountering is such a hassle. Are other people finding it to be a hassle? Oh, they are. All right. How are we going to solve this? That's kind of the natural evolution of ideas that lead to development of tech. Some of the examples I'll list, they exclude things like a new drug development. That's a Mm -hmm. totally different field. Um, They exclude service delivery. You know, how are we going to deliver care to people? I think that's really important, but that's not really tech or device development. So some examples that I think most of us know, the Doc For Me app, Mm -hmm. right? That's a great example of tech development by Jeannie Wong, the Naspian Foundation, all the people that kind of worked together to get that going because there was a gap in how we transition patients from pediatric IBD care to adult IBD care. How do you find your doctor? And so an app was developed as a piece of technology to solve that problem. And it's really helpful and useful. The Naspigan Toolbox app, I think came out of the fellows committee at one point, yeah. also supported by the foundation. It's got all these great tools in there uh, brought together so that it can make your life easier because I'm sure, and I wasn't in those meetings, but as a fellow, you're like, oh, there's so many calculators. There's so many charts. They're every place. Everybody has their little notebook. What if we just put all this together and kept it up to date for our membership? Great. So those are some great examples that, you know, Naspagan has really been at the forefront of. There are some pediatric GI docs that have been really innovative and successful. I certainly do not know all of them or all the ideas. And so this is selection bias at its core, but I think it's it's good because these things are actively um, being developed. One is called Doc Health, mm-hmm. and Michael Doctor from Boston Children's he developed this HIPAA compliant task management system. And so 
I don't know all the details of how it works, although I have seen it. Uh, it's really cool because, for instance, I'm a motility doctor. And so I order a colonic manometry. Well, to get that study done, there are about a thousand steps that occur and different people do each of those. How do we get the pre-auth? How do we get the records from somewhere else? How do we communicate with the family, schedule the procedure, get the equipment, get the everything? You've got all these tasks. And within your medical record or within your email, there's gaps. You might lose some of that information. So if you develop a workflow and it's within a HIPAA compliant task management system, you can use patient name and information so you don't uh, make errors there. Uh, you can streamline your process. There are many more examples that aren't utility related of how that's used. But yeah, he really led that as the CEO and co-founder of that company. Um, CareXR, this is a newer one that's in development. And Ashish Chogli at Chalk uh, is developing this with his institution. And it's a virtual reality educational platform. So a patient gets a new G-tube in the hospital. We go to the bedside or our nurses do and they get taught. And then they go home. How do we reinforce that teaching? So one of the concepts is that if we use teaching at the bedside, including virtual reality, and then they have access to that same teaching and reinforcement at home, will there be better outcomes, fewer complications? Will the patients and their parents be more satisfied that they feel comfortable doing what they're doing? Really cool technology, making use of VR um, and really an education patient focused solution, which is awesome. That's very awesome. And one of the other ones I think that many of us have heard of that's really been successful in the last year is Evo Endo. And this is developed by Joel Friedlander and other doctors at Colorado Children's. And it's a single-use transnasal endoscope. <laughs> and this has really come along from an idea. How can we use this in practice? You know, I'm scoping all these EOE patients. Wouldn't it be great if we could do it awake? You know, how can we integrate VR? How can we make it easier for us and easier for our patients? to a full-fledged company. They have the structure. They've got the CEO. They've got 510K clearance. So the FDA says you can market this for specific uses to kids so they can visit hospitals and sell it to us or wow. to sell it to us. And then they've gotten almost $20 million in financing that they've announced already. They're really an emerging company with yeah. a product to solve a problem. Yeah, I need one of those ideas. <laughs> One of my colleagues uh, did a tech development uh, device, and it's actually an endoscopic foreign body retrieval device that you can use for food, for food ingest, food impactions, I think. I've never actually used it before, but there's a patent. He went through the whole Oh, we recently got that. Suction chief. Yeah. So, so it like suctions the whole thing out, right? I think so. Yeah. And it goes over the top. And yeah. We recently got training for that. So tell your friend it's going really well. <laughs> Kudos, Dr. Boyle. Yeah. yeah. I think that's one of the cool things about yeah. the Shark Tank and the Tech Symposium yes. is we all know little bits about the people we work with. I hope this brings out of the woodwork all the people that have been working on things, develop things already or want to, because I think there's a lot. And I think that if we share that knowledge and and kind of uh, lean on each other a little bit, it'll make it easier. And it's fun. It's pretty awesome. It is awesome. So how did you get interested in tech development? That's a good question. I would say I'm still a novice, although I think I've learned a lot over the last couple of years. Um, I see problems just like you guys do. And there was a Spark Bash competition at our hospital. 
Uh, I don't remember what SPARC stands for, but basically we have a center for innovation. And they said, hey, there's a lot of people at our hospital that are identifying problems, may have solutions. Let's have them present it to each other and give small amounts of money for, for development and support. And so I was working with an ear, nose and throat doctor in the OR doing a double scope. And um, we were trying to decide how deep a laryngeal cleft was. And we say, yeah, you stick your probe in there and then you estimate and things are moving and things are wet. And everybody reports it a little bit differently, but really you're comparing a posterior structure and how uh, caught at it is to an anterior landmark. That's not great. Right. And there's, you know, there's a difference whether you call it a type one or two for a lot of people, you know, depending on how they intervene. And so I worked with an ENT doctor on a device that we completely dropped, but, you know, I talk about that to anybody who'd be willing to listen um, to solve that problem. How can we provide some objectivity? to the demarcation of a laryngeal cleft. So I went to the Spark Bash. We got some good feedback. Uh, and then that was it. That was it. So a year later, I finished the colonic manometry on a toddler and the kid had been admitted overnight and we'd seen the contractions. We'd seen his behavior change. Everything fit together. It's functional constipation. The mom's very relieved. And then she looks at me. She's like, why did we have to wait a month. Why did he have to be admitted with this catheter put in? Why couldn't you have told me this with some other kind of test? This seems pretty involved and invasive. I thought, well, yeah, I mean, that's a good point, but what else do we have to really talk about contractility? You know, we've got other transit tests, but nothing that really is quite the same. And so my office at the time was a four desk uh, lane office and they put the fourth member in and our chairs would bump all the time. <laughs> but it turns out Dr. Luna, who was visiting from Mexico for a year, is a physicist, a professor of physics. Wow. And he has an expertise in bioimpedance. Hmm. And we would chat about different ideas we had, different things we could do. And I told him about this mom. And so we started working together on this project and developing a non-invasive bowel monitoring device that uses bioimpedance using sensors on the skin to identify bowel contractions. And then we started testing it. It seems to work and start refining it. And so that's kind of led me down this path. How do I bring this from an idea to solve this problem, to provide us better information to a device that people could use on the market? And so I've had to learn along the way. It's very interesting. It's like a really great story. I feel like a lot of us have ideas like that, but none of, not none of us, but like a lot of us don't take action. And it's really cool to hear how you like took action and you're proud of your first idea. The second idea, you talk to a physicist about it. And that's very, very amazing. I think Shark Tank's going to allow an opportunity for people to really get out there, right? Because if you're the only one who's like, I have this idea, I don't know what to do. Yeah. This will give like a structured way to really take the first steps. Yes. So many people have an idea, but it's really that execution that's mm. so important. And when you have people like John Rosen to help you out, mm -hmm. I mean, come on. <laughs> we rely on each other for so many things, right? True. We have a clinical question or a research question. We go to our friends and colleagues in the tech development or innovation space. It doesn't feel like, at least at some institutions, that there's that many other people around, but there are. Mm -hmm. They're everywhere. That's true. And you're right. The barrier to entry, you know, it feels like, oh, man, I'm so busy. What, when would I have time for this? What does it cost? I don't know how to do this part of it or this part of it. 
but all of those barriers can be overcome. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are great resources out there. And I hope that you're right, that Shark Tank will help encourage people to say, well, let me take the first step. Let's see, see where it goes. Right. So um, before we kind of dig more deep into the topic, I'd like to ask a few questions about definitions of things that might seem the same to me. <laughs> Can you give us the definition and examples of what medical technology means, what getting a patent means, and what intellectual property means? These, these are big and there are there are experts, right, mm -hmm. that do this all the time. And I will give you the definitions that I think are the, the most accurate and place to start, but certainly rely on, you know, your intellectual property attorneys and that kind of thing for more in-depth, useful information for a specific case. However, medical technology is a little bit broader. That can be really anything. When we talk about it, we really mean medical devices. Medical devices are specifically defined by the FDA. And the FDA is the one who decides whether we can market those medical devices, whether they're safe to publicize and sell. And so they're really a barrier to entry to the market. And if you want your device to be used, usually there has to be a market. Somebody's got to pay for it. Um, and there are some devices that don't have to you know, be purchased by organizations or individuals, but somebody's got to fund it. And so being a medical device and I'm going to read directly from the FDA definition because it's very specific. Intended for use in the diagnosis or disease or other conditions or in the cure, mitigation, treatment, or prevention of disease. So it's intended to treat or evaluate disease. Step one. Step two, it's intended to affect the structure or function of the body of man or other animals. So it doesn't have to be humans. Could be rabbits. And... It doesn't achieve its primary purpose through chemical action or being metabolized because that's a drug. Oh, right, right, right. 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 That makes sense. Now, examples, it blew my mind the first time I learned this, but a tongue depressor is a medical device that has to be cleared for marketing by the FDA. Really? It's a piece of wood, but it fits the definition. It's a class one product. It's low risk. It's easy to get approved for similar devices, but that's a medical device. And then you have wow. ECMO, right? ECMO is a medical device and a system. That's a class three because it's got high risk is essentially what the different classes mean. Also a medical device. So essentially everything that we use from a stethoscope to a ventilator that meets that definition is a medical device. So a big follow-up on this is the predictive models. So like, you know, there's development of more and more predictive analytics and predictive yeah. models for different things. And the FDA classifies that as a medical device. And so wow. there's additional, um, I think, I think it went through, gosh, now that I'm saying this out loud, I'm not, I want to make sure that I'm a hundred percent correct on this, but I'm pretty sure they classify it as a medical device. I think you're right. And I think that's one of the big things the FDA has worked on with experts over the last couple of years is how do you regulate because really it's regulation of VR, uh, artificial intelligence. How do you regulate a model or a piece of software that does something that can be a medical device? And so there are many different things that can fit in that category. And I think the older definitions have been expanded with many, you know, conferences among the experts to figure out how they can be regulated efficiently, but also safely. But nobody come to Baby Shark Tank with the idea of a tongue depressor because that's already <laughs> been taken. <laughs> what about patent? 
oh, so patents are a type of intellectual property. And intellectual property, again, you know, there are many, many experts on this topic, but it refers to creations that occur that are inventions or that are written works or artistic works or designs. Um, intellectual property can encompass lots of things. And there are four major types and they'll teach this in any class. You know, I, I took a couple courses and it's kind of the same framework. And one is patents. Patents are a right for the owner of that patent to decide how an invention can be used and who can use it and under what conditions. So really it, it is an assigned right to control the use of something that um, people generally will say, you know, the patent being issued is what gives you control. And if you have that control and there's a market for it, which is the other really important part, then yeah, go to market, right? Somebody needs it and you control it. Everybody else isn't going to just make the same thing and undercut you. So right. people will buy it, you can support it. There's also copyright and trademark, which we're familiar with. You know, when we write a manuscript, we submit it to a journal, we assign the copyright to the journal. We no longer own the rights to that written work. They own it. That's a, a different podcast. Uh, <laughs> trademarks are distinguishing goods and services. And that's, we know about uh, McDougal's from coming to America. You know, it's not McDonald's. And then trade secrets. This is one that I didn't really know about, but it's confidential information. It has a value. You can sell your trade secrets, the secret sauce, the recipe okay. for, you know, KFC's chicken, the seven spices. Um, but the difference between trade secrets and a patent is a patent. You have to publish publicly some of the technical features of what you created. And so once you publish that, yes, if it's issued and published, you own the rights, but anybody can see how you do it. And there are cases where you don't want anybody to know how you do it. The Coke syrup recipe. If you get a patent for that recipe, anybody can make it. Now you could go prosecute all of them and try to enforce your patent. It's going to cost you a lot. Right. Instead, keep it as a trade secret. And then nobody knows how. That's very interesting. That's a really good uh, distinction. So you've already mentioned so many people, right? Like you mentioned a lawyer and you mentioned a CEO and you mentioned, I don't know, your friends. So who should actually be on your team if you're thinking about adapting or creating a medical technology? This is a great question because it depends on what your purpose of creating the technology is, where you want to take it. If you want to develop a single-use endoscope and a company that's going to sell that endoscope, you need completely different people on your team, both at the start and along the way, than if you're developing uh, the Mercy Tape, which is something we'll hear about at the Tech Symposium, which is a way to evaluate nutrition that's low cost, that can be used in third world countries. And the intent of that is not to create a company, not to create profit, it's to create a medical device that can be used. And so maybe you need different people on your team that aren't going to engineer it for you, that aren't going to create a company and a marketing team and a sales team. So what do you really need? You just need you at first. You need you as the person that's got the idea or your partners that also have the idea invested in putting a little time into it, right? Because it takes time to do these things. And then you need to, I would say, one of the first steps is explore your university or employer's tech transfer office or their innovation center. Because if you are in private practice, it is very different than if you have a contract with a university or hospital in terms of what you can do and when. And I think enlisting those people early is a really positive thing for you as an innovator. 
the tech transfer office will tell you all the details about, okay, where are you in your process? Let's think through this. And when is it okay to, for instance, write and submit that first abstract to a scientific Congress? Because that can really affect the patentability of your device. Mm -hmm. And if it's not patentable, even if it's a great idea, who's going to pay for it? How's it going to get to market? And so they are really good at doing this. They have experience. The other thing is you are usually required to look at your contract. And most academic hospitals and universities will explicitly say in your contract, you are required to disclose within X number of days to our tech transfer office anytime you have you know this category of innovation. And if you don't do that, well, you, you can get in trouble and that's probably okay. But also it can just be more hassle down the road because eventually if you create a company and you start selling something, it's going to be disclosed. University is going to want a piece of it. Right. So read your contract, talk to your tech transfer office, and then use your knowledge and find out where you have gaps. So I don't know much about engineering. I don't know much about physics. So pull those people in. Or if you need more business people, or if you need more software developers, pull the people in that do things that you don't know what to do, how to do. Follow-up question on that. So do you think before Shark Tank... We should reach out to read our contract and reach out to our tech. Oh, okay. Yes, okay. I am nodding an emphatic yeah. yes. Okay. There at Shark Tank, should somebody be chosen to present, it will be a public disclosure of your technology or your innovation. Mm-hmm. And again, I am not a patent attorney or an expert, but that could be considered prior art, which means that it's out there. And if that's out there before you submit a provisional patent application, which is like the first step, then it's not protected. And so absolutely, and that'll be on the application, you should find out what your responsibilities are and what your rights are to potential intellectual property regarding your device. And one of the things that we can help guide and the, your hospital's tech transfer office can probably help guide is you can say a lot you can be a little bit vague about your idea without giving away the technical details. And so there are certain ways to present that are probably better ways if you intend to really pursue the idea. So I have millions of millions of millions of ideas. Every day I probably have like two or three, oh, we should do this better. We should do this better. And some I forget about and some I think might be very helpful, but really I don't know if I want to put in the effort and the time for it. How can I figure out if this idea is worth my time and effort and would it be helpful? How, do, how can I figure that out? It's hard yeah, because we're thinking about these problems that we encounter every day. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Lots of people have lots of ideas. So which ones are the ones to pursue? I would say the gut feeling is a big one. And that is totally non-scientific. But if it keeps coming back into your head over the course of a year or two, and you're like, oh, man, this is a great idea. And you keep thinking about it. That's probably a sign you should look into it a little further. Yeah. I think a more um, kind of practical answer is that you take one of your ideas that seems exciting to you at the time and then think about, uh, is it solving a problem and what problem is it solving? You should be able to answer that. And then you have to figure out through, there's different names for it, but customer discovery is one that is very Googleable and helpful. Oh. Do other people have the same problem? 
And would a solution like you're presenting be attractive to other people that may be your customer, which could be either a purchaser or an end user or somebody, you know, an insurance company that's going to save money as a result, something like that. So who's your customer? What do they think about the problem? And not your idea that's all fleshed out and exactly specific, but the intent of your solution. Do they think that that would solve their problem too? And if you come back and you interview 100 people, because really it takes, you know, feet on the ground, talking to people outside your comfort zone, outside your division, outside your hospital. If they're like, yeah, you know, that here's my problem. That doesn't really solve it. Well, maybe it's not the right solution. There's going to always be some people. So let's say you get a hundred interviews and 80 of those interviewees think, yeah, this could be a potential idea that really helps me out that I would want to convince somebody to buy or I'd buy myself. Awesome. Or they might give you feedback that says, well, you know, it doesn't solve my problem, but if it was a little bit like this, that would solve my problem. And then you modify your idea through that customer discovery. So I'd say first, you know, does it pass gut check? Second, what problem are you trying to solve and who does that problem affect? And then get out there a little bit. What do they think about it? So this doesn't sound cheap to me. You know, I'm, I'm coming from like a research mind, right? Like, writing budgets for grant proposals and everything always costs a lot more money than you think it's going to cost. So ballpark, what kind of budget are we talking here for something like this? From start to finish depends on the complexity of what you're developing. But those first steps that we just talked about, free. They're all in your head. They're all your time. I mean, time costs money, sure, but there's no financial outlay for any of that. The first time where there's going to be an expense is usually intellectual property. If you're going that route, And it can be really cheap at the beginning. The U.S. Patent and Trademark Office for a provisional patent for a large organization is $300 is the filing fee. Now, you may have to pay lawyers to write the provisional patent because there's specific language and formatting and things like that. But it can be in the couple thousand dollars to protect your idea at the beginning. If you want an issued patent, like an enforceable real patent, then you're talking $25,000 to maybe $200,000 depending on what countries you're going to be filing in, what uh, the patent goes through as it is seen in the patent office and reviewed, do you have to split it into multiple patents? And then you have parallel pathways that you have to pay for both. How long does it take? There's carrying costs. And then even once the patent's issued, there are renewal fees that are not insubstantial. And so that's a big expense to fit into your budget. And one of the great things about working in a university is the tech transfer office has a budget for these things. So the other reason you meet with them early is you say, look, I need your help both in expertise, but I want the university to pay for this stuff or help me get funding for this part of it. So use them because they get money and they are supposed to, depending on their mission, have a return on investment, but that's usually not money. Usually it's, yes, we want things to be successful, but for instance, a children's hospital We want to put products forward that help kids, even if it costs us money. So that's great, right? Use that. So intellectual property, that's a big potential expense. Uh, FDA regulation is another potential expense. So if you get along the pathway like Evo Endo and you go for 510K clearance, depending on whether you have a tongue depressor or ECMO, it could cost anywhere from $20,000 really for meetings and writing applications can be a lot cheaper. Uh, I know of one innovator that wrote her own because she's 
very smart and was able to just write her own application completely and go through the process only cost her time and a little bit in filing fees. But if you've got a device that's complex, that potentially is risky, you're going to spend millions of dollars, not all of it in legal or filing fees, a lot of it in clinical research. So you need a big research budget to prove that it does what you say that it does and that it's safe for use. So just like we would have for a drug. And so that would be like a, you know, a class three device would be in the millions of dollars to bring to market. You talked about patents and intellectual properties, and those are not free. So when do you think they're required? And when would you think about um, applying for a patent? So you don't want to do it too early where it's rejected, Mm -hmm. but you also don't want to do it too late where it's like over. Oh, somebody already got your idea and now they patent it. (laughs) That's a great question. So your idea should be Uh, far enough along that it's well thought out, but you don't need to have a product to file a patent. What I would say is that the timeline matters in that you want to protect your idea so that you can pursue it further. You can potentially publish on it, your initial pilot study. You want it in a journal, but you can't do that till you filed your provisional patent or else the protection is gone. Um, And so I'd say early is the time to start. However, once you file your provisional patent, that gives you a date that things started, but then the clock starts ticking. You have several different processes or pathways you can go through before you actually file for your patent, like a U.S. patent, a country-specific patent. And it can be you know a year and a half to two and a half years. But once you file for your country-specific patent, then you have another timeline that starts. I think it's usually 20 years, depends... You can get extensions if it's pediatric specific technology and some other reasons, but that's the protection that you have, for instance, as a company that's selling that device. And so if you start late, even if you're protected, uh, you actually may save some years on the back end, more years of a patent protecting your device. If you start early, you start losing those years on the back end of protection and the value of that patent actually starts decreasing. Now, We don't need to know this in any detail. We should rely on a tech transfer office and patent attorneys, because honestly, there are many different strategies that I'm sure I don't understand. Um, But really, what's your goal? What do you want to do? And how are patents going to help you get there? I think that's the best. I mean, I just want the kudos from (laughs) Baby Shark Tank. And Peter to dance in (laughs) Shark That's right. (laughs) And I would say tied to that, and I don't know if this comes up for many people, but I feel like there's a little guilt, especially that pediatricians have, in pursuing something that can make money. And I do not think that that's contrary to our academic mission, to our clinical mission. I think they can live in harmony. Mm, Right. Honestly, the medical system, it runs on finances. Devices get to market to help kids because of finances. If you don't have a market, it's going to be really hard to get that out there. And it's totally okay for you personally to make some money. Kudos are great. Yeah, yeah. But if your motivation is to start a company and to leave your academic practice, your mission is still largely the same. You still want to help people. And so I think that sometimes people think, oh, getting a patent, trying to make money off a device or a product or is a different pathway. I think it's the same pathway that we're all in already. Right. Hmm. 
you already mentioned the resources at your own institution to kind of look look internally, but are there other resources that you'd like to direct people to, or maybe they're not at a large academic center? Yeah, there's lots of resources out there. And I'd say that there's educational resources and there's financial resources available to everybody. So we talked about some of the local ones. I'd say local universities also, even if it's not your own, might have courses, might have an office or experts asking around like Dr. Boyle, he's been through this. So you've got somebody there that might have a little advice that's done it before. Um, I think you can look online, the NIH reporter website. A lot of people will use that to see who has funding uh, from the NIH for research studies, but there are SBIR and STTR grants that are earned with the intent of developing a product and they're in conjunction usually with the university, depending on how you structure it, but the university is always part of it. But look who in your area has gotten those. Give them a call, send them an email because they've really been through it if they've obtained that kind of funding. And then, you know, the internet is really good. Um, they sell the Stanford Biodesign Yak textbook. Yak's one of the authors. It's cool. Now, I can't go out there and take the classes. I probably don't have the skills. I certainly don't have the time or money to do it. But you can read the textbook and get some ideas of the things that they think about the framework. And then you've got websites for the FDA that have a lot of information. You've got the NASPGAN Tech Committee, the Single Topic Symposium. You've got the AAP. They've got interest group. They've got a listserv. And then there's some pediatric specific groups that I'll call out uh, that are newer that I think are great. There's iSpy, uh, I think International Society for Pediatric Innovation. And they really work to bring these ideas forward in a pediatric marketplace and then SHIP. And SHIP is brand new last year. Um, SHIP is not as active as it will be, but it's the System of Hospitals for Innovation and Pediatrics. And their goal is to help people that maybe work at a hospital, but don't have a tech transfer office or experience. Maybe it's a smaller hospital. How do we get those people's innovations to move forward? And really, we collaborate. We work together. We'll make sure to put um, these links in our show notes. So looking into the future, where do you think medical tech is going to? What types of medical tech do you think we should be looking out for? Yeah, this is definitely a personal sleeve <laughs> on what I think is most exciting. Um, but I think there's some big categories that are really exciting. I think that non-invasive remote monitoring, and part of that is because, yes, it's related to a project that I've worked on, but also in diabetes, in heart disease. We've got patients that live all over the country. They don't necessarily live next to our centers where we work. And we make them drive in to check things. Now we've got technology that can monitor blood sugar remotely and provide advice that can monitor the symptoms of a baby with congenital heart disease, and we can provide sooner intervention. We've got the technology and it's continuing to develop. So I think remote monitoring that's non-invasive. We also have funding mechanisms now that aren't as established or easy to access, but potentially that kind of work, which takes time, can get paid for through insurance uh, companies. So I think that's one. Two, uh, it gets a little bit Star Trek-y, but not completely. Um, I think that remote interaction is going to be big. I think the technology is there. We've already developed haptic devices, so like force feedback devices, where you can put on a glove in your office and can you palpate the liver of somebody at home? Maybe. Not yet. 
That I was thinking about that. Like a rounding robot. <laughs> yes, right? So you can like be on a beach in Costa Rica or something, and there's a robot that rounds on the patient and palpates the belly and listens to the heart. I call it R2GI2. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's uh, it's not so far away. I think we have rounding robots in a way that we can use auxiliary devices that are stethoscopes, for instance. That's really well established. You can hear somebody's heart sounds just as well as if you're in person. The tactile part, I think, is coming mm-hmm. along. Mm-hmm. And I think, for instance, some people's hesitation for telemedicine, besides for the interaction, you know, people find it to be a different experience sometimes, I think is I can't do my exam and I really rely on parts of my exam. Well, what if you took that barrier away? What if the technology was there? And I think that the technology has come along and I think the acceptance of it will, will follow. Um, and then very Star Trekky, I think tricorders clearly are going to be developed. Now, that's that's probably, what, 200 years away? But, I don't know what that is. Yeah, what is that? Oh, my God. Okay, so everybody <laughs> listening that knows Star Trek just went, ha, 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 that's great. And <laughs> anybody that hasn't, oh, my gosh, that felt. So we kind of called out ourselves, Jen. Recorder <laughs> is a remote monitoring device used on Star Trek. You guys have heard of Star Trek, right? We heard of it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And the doctors hold it over the patient and various versions will make beeps or they'll make alarm sounds, but they visualize, for instance, what's going on inside the patient on some of them. So I think remote monitoring eventually will get to the level where we can get so much information about a patient that's not near us that we can make good medical decisions. Not really a tricorder, but you know, get in that direction. Interesting. Dr. Rosen, it's been so lovely having you to talk about this. I feel like We didn't have a chance to talk a lot about your academic career, which has also been very successful. But, you know, when you think about your career in general, what is the most valuable advice that you've ever received? And what advice do you have for our listeners? Well, thank you. I had fun today, too. And I think this is a really good topic to learn about. I'm constantly learning about and I hope that people learned a little bit today. Um, I got really good advice from a college professor. I actually signed up voluntarily for a parliamentary procedure class. I love parliamentary procedure. Uh, We could talk about that too, but we won't. And this particular professor started a conference on academic integrity in college sports, which a whole different topic called the Drake Group. And at one of the first meetings, I was one of his students, so I helped plan it with him. And there were signs that said, do not tinker. And I still have it up in my office. Do not tinker. Do not mess around with little things. And I like that. Now, sure, I get myself into a rut. I mess around with little things at home or in the garden or whatever. But in general, what's really going to make an impact? What's really important? Focus your energy on those things. And all these other things that affect our lives that are little things, don't waste your energy and time on them. Get done with them and move them on. For instance, do I have difficulty doing online trainings happily for things that I don't think are valuable to me or my patients. Yes. But why would I spend time worrying about those on a daily basis? I get them done and I move on or filling out forms for relicensure. Just get it done and move on. Don't tinker with the little stuff. Think about where really to put your energy. And so John Erickson from Drake University, great professor, and he really lived that. For listeners, ah, that's hard because, you know, this is one bit of advice, but I would say that we should all be a little bit selfish and it doesn't sound very nice. And I'm honestly, I'm, I'm a nice person. I care for other people, but um, we work hard 
And we work hard for our families. We work hard for our patients. We work hard for all sorts of things. And whether you want to call it wellness or selfishness or anything else, you've got to focus on things that make you happy and that satisfy you. And we all find ourselves doing things sometimes. We're like, oh, this is not what I was planning on doing with my time. So really refocus and don't feel bad about it. Take care of yourself. Be a little bit selfish. Absolutely. That's what I kind of um, try to focus on self-care and mental health, because I feel like, if is this going to be good for my mental health? If it's not, then I probably won't spend the energy and time on it. I want something that is going to be helpful for myself and self-care, I guess. It's really important because we take, we do a good job about taking care of people and we're the last person to take care of ourselves. It's good to make it a priority or at least the same level as taking care of other people. Put yourself onto that level. I totally agree. It's not selfishness over other people, but it's not putting yourself down behind the needs and interests of other people. Yeah, this has been great. I mean, I feel like this, this is a great, great topic. We can go on and on and on and on. So we appreciate your time. Any final words for our listeners? You can do it. Anybody can do it. We all have ideas. If you want to do it, go for it. You've got people to help. And, I, I, you know, that's said in the setting of the tech symposium and the Shark Tank, but it's really true overall. You've got the skills. You've got people to support you. Sometimes they're hard to, harder to find than others. But if you want to do it, just go for it. Take that first step. Great advice. Great advice. Thank you very much for your time. We truly appreciate it. We had so much fun talking to you. Hopefully we'll meet during Naspian. Shark Tank. That'd be great. It's crazy. John, we've been on so many things together and we've never met in person. Have we? I don't think we have. Maybe not. Now that you're saying it, I can't recall. We've met in person. And we've probably met virtually a hundred times, something like that. (laughs) If you don't already, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at at Sounds and on Facebook at at Pediatric GI Podcast for the latest news and updates on upcoming episodes. And if you like what you heard and want to support the show, it would really help us out if you did all or one of the following three things. One. One. Tell one person (laughs) about the podcast. Tell somebody about the podcast. Two. Two. (laughs) Leave a review on our podcast to help others discover our podcast. It's like our 58th episode. Like you'd think that we would have this down. Uh, Nope. On Buzzsprout page, there's a link to support the show by making a donation to the foundation. You can also get there at naspegan.org. I'm not spelling it. The money you donate helps support some of the amazing things the Nasdaq Foundation is doing, including supporting pediatric GI research and public education programs. I'm going to try to do this disclaimer yes. really quick. Yes, it's right. Always discussion of views and recommendation podcasts that I wanted to host yesterday and subject to listening to the fields. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. I feel like I feel like if you slow that down, it would be intelligible. That's that's yeah. good. <laughs> all right, thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening. It's N A S. N-A-S-P-G-H-A-N. I couldn't Congratulations. Not spell it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nasdaq.org. Right. Bye, everyone. Bye.